0: Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here, and welcome— if you are here for the first time or the 250th time. We're glad that you're here, thanks for being here. I'm really excited that Lisa teed me up and she said we're doing this new series called Heroes You Haven't Heard Of. And I am as uncomfortable as you are with a phrase that ends in a preposition. It just it doesn't sit well with me, Heroes You Haven't Heard Of, but you know what, it, it communicates the point that we're talking about people that are a little bit more obscure. That you may never have heard of before. We're not talking about Noah. We're not talking about Moses. We're not talking about David and the other, you know, top 10 characters in all of the children's Bibles that might be in your home. Those guys, we're going to talk about them another time. In this series, we're talking about some folks that I think maybe most of us haven't spent a whole lot of time learning about. Maybe you know their name. But i'm excited to tell you about them uh, another fun fact about this series is that this series was originally designed in the summer of 2017 so over five years ago and our spiritual direction team got together and said we need to do a series on some people that are a little bit more obscure and everybody around the table we said yes that sounds like a fun series our church would be blessed by that and so we put it on the calendar and we don't even do this that much but every once in a while like we plan you know six or nine months in advance Then something will happen, something will change, and we'll say, well, we need to replace that with this. And we kind of call an audible. Well, for like six times in a row, we've kicked this series down the road. It became a joke at the Spiritual Direction team. It's like, you guys want to do Heroes You Haven't Heard Of? It's like, well, we can put on the calendar, but it probably isn't going to happen. And uh, finally, six months ago, somebody said, is it time? And we said, it is time. Summer 2022, Heroes You Haven't Heard Of, here we are. And today... Uh, I'm going to talk in week one about somebody that you might be familiar with his name, and you might know a little bit about him, but uh, we're going to get into a lot of the Bible in Judges chapter 6 and 7 about a man named Gideon. And as I began to study about Gideon and as I was writing this message about Gideon, the the thought that was in my mind was I just, I need everybody at Three Creeks to know about Gideon. I need you to know about who he was and, and... and what he did, and, and, and just this incredible story of this person named Gideon, and then it dawned on me. I thought, what if I ran that idea by Gideon himself, that I want to go to Three Creeks and make sure everybody knows about Gideon. Gideon would tell me, Joel, what in the world are you talking about me for? This story isn't even about me. It is about what God did through me. There's a, there's a big difference in having a message about Gideon And a message about what God did through Gideon. And I feel like Gideon would be the most against a message about him. Where he would go, you've got, you're talking about the wrong character in the story. And so today's message, yes, we're going to talk about Gideon. But let me just tell you, this whole message and this whole series is about what we can learn about God. And his love and his faithfulness and his power through unbelievably broken people. If you would consider yourself broken... If you would consider yourself in need, not perfect, every once in a while, maybe you don't feel like you have what it takes, that you're not capable, well, join the club. Because these people that we're talking about, they too felt the same way, and God used them anyway, and so I'm excited to get into it. Uh, week one, let's open up our Bibles to Judges chapter six and seven. Oh, we do have the slides, perfect, so we'll have the words up behind us of the the. Uh, parts of the Bible that we're going to go through today. We're going to go through a lot more Bible verses than we typically do on a Sunday morning. And uh, it's just because I want you to see the whole story from the Bible. Also, last series we did, we weren't in the Bible as much as we normally are. So I'm trying to even it out and bring us back to uh, level par. There are three things that I really want you to be able to take away from today about God through this story about Gideon. And we're going to kind of just kind of make our way through the story, seven to ten verses at a time. And there are three things about God that I really want you to take away. The New Testament of the Bible, the second half, or maybe I guess the last third probably, that is the story of Jesus coming to save the world from their sins. The Old Testament is essentially 39 books of people who can't get their act together? That show that we need somebody to come and save us from our sins. It's 39 chapters. It's it's most of your Bible of the people of Israel who cannot stay the course, who whose hearts continue to rebel against God. And so you see, in the New Testament, while well, Jesus has to come save everybody, the Old Testament is a story of people that need saved, and maybe that is on its its most apparent display in the Book of Judges. In the Book of Judges. There's this cycle that happens over and over and over and over. There's four parts to this cycle. The first thing is that Israel rebels. They turn their backs on God. Then they suffer retribution, usually in the form of oppression from another country. And then they repent. Then they turn to God and they ask for help. God, may you save us. And then God rescues them again and gives them peace in their land for a period of time until the cycle starts all over again. And they rebel again. And that is where we pick up in Judges chapter 6. You can see verse 1 is step 1 of the cycle. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So here's the retribution. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders. From Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. They'd camp in the land and destroy all the crops. And it says, as far away as Gaza, which is literally the other end of the land that they're coming from. The whole land. They left the Israelites with the need, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the donkey. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. Think about this. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then, step three of the cycle, the Israelites cry out to the Lord for help. God, will you save us? You guys, the Israelites in this story are facing a serious national crisis. The the future of Israel actually hangs in the balance. And I don't know what it's like to live in a country that is being invaded by another country. I have tried my best to to imagine what it would be like living in Ukraine right now, or being from Ukraine. But I just, I could never look at someone who's gone through that and say, I know what you're talking about. I've been there. Because I haven't been there. I've never been a refugee that has had to flee my country for the safety so that I can live, so that I can eat. Never experienced this. This is what the Israelites are experiencing. And think about it on a a real practical level. Every year, sons go to their dads as they're planting the crops. And they say, Dad, do you think that we're going to get to eat this crop this year? And the dad says, I don't know. And the son says, Dad, do you think that we'll have to go live in the cave again this year? I don't want to go live in the cave. I don't want to be hungry again this year. And seven years in a row, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east come in and destroy everything. And they leave Israel to starve. And some of them make it. And some of them plant crops again. And the same thing happens for seven years in a row. Verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, and the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And I imagine that the Israelites thought we would have preferred an experienced military commander. But God sends a prophet. That's like me or you breaking down on the highway, calling AAA, and the truck pulls up and he says, I'm a counselor. Would you like to talk? That, that's how they would have felt. A prophet? God, you know better than that, don't you? We don't need a prophet. We need somebody to lead us out of this. But this is what the prophet says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. Don't forget that. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. Don't forget that. I drove your enemies and gave you their land. Don't forget that. I told you, I'm the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But, look at it. But... You have not listened to me. You have not listened to me. You see, what the prophet does is the prophet tells them where the problem's at. Because the Israelites think that the problem is the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the East and the oppression. The Israelites are going, God, will you save us from these people and what they're doing to us? And the prophet says, the problem isn't the Midianites. The problem is your sin and your disobedience. Before you start saying, God, will you save us from them? The prophet is saying, take a look inside and let's just figure out why we got here in the first place. Because God can change your circumstances, and he has changed your circumstances. Remember when you were slaves in Egypt? Remember when the other nations came and oppressed you in the first five chapters of Judges? Remember when all this happened? There's no question as to whether or not God can change your circumstances. But let's just be honest about where we're at. You have not listened to me. I said, don't follow the other fake idol gods. And you did it anyways. You didn't listen to me. The prophet is essentially saying, listen, God can deal with them. But God is more interested in dealing with you. So here's the first thing I want you to know about God is that God can change our circumstances, but he's more interested in changing us first. So two questions in a row for you. One, are there any circumstances in your life right now that you would like to change? Or you would like to have changed. And if so, good. Because that is great. Because we're supposed to want change. And we're supposed to pray for change. And prayer changes things. And that in and of itself is not bad. But here's the follow-up question. Is there something God wants to change in you before he changes the circumstances? Because he can and he might change the circumstances. But he's always interested in changing us. When I ask the first question, are there any circumstances that you would like to have changed? Maybe something in your job comes to mind. Maybe a relationship that is broken comes to mind that you would like to snap and have that fixed. Maybe some of you are walking through the dark valley that is potty training your children. And you're like, God, change these circumstances, please. This seems like an endless journey. But I but, but ask that question, some of the answers are simple and funny and some of them are so serious about circumstances that we would change. But it's so important to ask, is God interested in changing something in you before he changes something around you? Because the prophet comes in, he says, the problem isn't out there. I will, God can deal with that if he wants to. The problem is your sin and your disobedience. Is there something in us that needs to change first? Something that, let's be honest, we wouldn't choose to change about ourselves if the circumstances changed first. And then the story gets a little crazier. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came. This is a different person than the prophet. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abezer. Gideon, there he is. Son of Joash was, look where he was. He was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press, that's important, to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Something I learned as I studied this is that uh, a question I had as I read it was, Who is this angel of the Lord? It doesn't look like it's an angel of the Lord. It looks like it's the angel of the Lord. Well, you're going to find out in verse 14 and 16, coming up here in a second, that the angel of the Lord is also referred to as the Lord. God himself. This is one of, I think, about 50 different instances in the Old Testament that are called a theophany. A theophany is a visible human Jesus before his incarnation, a.k.a. Christmas. Christmas. In the old testament you see actually jesus coming in is at the opening remember jesus has always existed he was not a created being at christmas and he's always been crazy about us and i thought that was kind of cool and look what he says to gideon he says gideon mighty hero the lord is with you let's remember what we read 90 seconds ago where was gideon He was in the bottom of a wine press threshing wheat. Where you typically thresh wheat is at the top of a hill where you get the most wind and it aids the threshing of the wheat. It blows the chaff. But Gideon decided to stay away from the Midianites and essentially to hide in a hole. He goes to a depressed area of the land to go do what is typically done on top of a hill. And then this angel of the Lord says, uh, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And I imagine Gideon looked around. You talking to me? You can't possibly be talking to me because at this moment, Gideon is a timid, timid man who is hiding. And somebody just came in and called up a mighty hero. And I'm assuming Gideon would be confused. Look what he says next. Gideon replies, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now it appears as though the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And so now I'm down in a hole threshing the wheat. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. God says, Gideon, I'm sending you. And Gideon, the first thing he says, are all the excuses why that can't possibly be true. He says, but Lord, uh, my clan, my family is the weakest and I am the youngest person in my family. But Lord, you've got the wrong guy. I really am confused by this, God. Because I'm not the guy you're looking for. I'm not even the leader of my family, and my family has no stature in this nation. Like, you've got the wrong guy. He says, his first two words are, but Lord, have you ever felt, I'm turning on you for a second, have you ever felt God nudging you in a certain direction, putting something on your heart, reminding you of it a couple different times, Not letting you go from this idea or this push or this nudge. And you, like Gideon, have said, but Lord. And you've begun to just kind of rattle off some reasonable excuses as to why it probably isn't you to do that. But have you ever felt that way? Where God put something on your mind or in your heart for a couple days, maybe a couple weeks maybe i'm just saying in a room this size somebody's been being nudged by the lord for to do something for a couple of years and the response has been but lord but lord you know the mistakes that i've made i can't do that but lord i don't know enough of the bible but lord i don't have enough experience through that but Lord I haven't even been a Christian for that long but Lord I'm too old now but Lord I'm too young for that but Lord I'm too busy for that I, but Lord I'm a stay at home mom but Lord I don't have enough money to do that but Lord but Lord But Lord, you can't can't possibly be nudging me. It doesn't make any sense for me to do that or say that. And look what God says. God says to him, I will be with you. That's that's his response to all of the reasonable excuses. He says, I will be with you. And what he doesn't say is, no, 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 you have what it takes. Because that would be a lie. Because... Because God just wants you to know that, I'm gonna hurt somebody's feelings. You don't have what it takes to do all that God wants to do through you and in you. You cannot muster up the energy. We cannot muster up what it takes to do all that God wants us to do. And so God says, not you've got what it takes, He says, I will be with you. And that implies that that is actually all that we need. I I have thoughts, this is off the cuff, it's not written down, but I'm just thinking about it right now. I've been thinking, man, in all of the places that you guys work, in in all of the lunch break rooms, in all of the places that you guys work, I'm just wondering, has anybody felt nudged by the Lord recently to start some kind of Bible study or conversation about God where you get around the lunch table or coffee in the morning and just talk about God. I don't even know. That might be just one of you. But that would be an example of something that so many of us would hear God asking us to do and we go, but Lord. And we could list off the reasons why nobody's gonna wanna come and I'm not gonna have anything to say and they're gonna ask a question I don't know the answer to and I don't have time. And we would just say, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. And he would say, I'm gonna be with you and that is actually all that you need. The Lord said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And so God is, God is essentially saying to Gideon, I don't really care how you see yourself. This is how I see you, and I'm choosing to send you and you can come up with all the excuses that you want but i'm still sending you because this is how i see you and the second thing that we can learn about god is that only god gets to say who you are only god gets to define who we are simple question but maybe one of the most important questions in all of life i've asked it before here and i should ask it again what do you think god thinks when he thinks about you What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? Because what you believe God thinks about you would creep its way to some extent into every area of your life. And this is what we need to be on the same page about, is that our activity flows from our identity, not the other way around. And so what we do flows from who we believe that we are, not the other way around. We are not doing what we think we are. We do what we, that flows from who we believe that we are. I heard a story uh, just this week actually about a, uh, a guy who was this mega magazine publisher entrepreneurial giant, millions of dollars, forged new trails. He was incredible. If you were in the magazine industry, you know this guy's name. And in high school, he was getting all D's and F's his freshman, sophomore, and junior year of high school. He was being raised by a single mom who was doing the best that she could and was trying to encourage him to go to class, but he would skip, he'd never pay attention, and he's failing all of his classes. But because he loved his mom, he said, Mom, for you, I will take the SAT. And she said, great, will you study? He said, no, I will not study, but I will take the SAT to honor you. And uh, so he goes as a junior in May and takes the SAT, and he finds out in June that he scores a 1480. I don't know, I think it's out of 1600. Am I right? Does anybody know the answer to this? That seems high. Nathan, yes? That's high. 1480, he's like super genius level guy, getting all of D's and F's, takes the SAT, and so you might think, oh, the moral of the story here is that he was smart the whole time and he just needed a standardized test. to Show him. Well, that's actually not what happened. Turns out, he gets these results and it dawns on him, man, I do have something to bring to the table. I am smart. He starts paying attention in class, he starts doing his homework, he stops tip class, he gets straight A's his senior year he goes to an Ivy League school and becomes this entrepreneurial magazine publishing giant in our country. Thirteen years later, he got a letter in the mail. And it said, the year that you took the SAT, thirteen years ago, thirteen different people in our country were sent the wrong results. And you were one of them. And you actually scored, not a 1480, but a 740. It's a true story. What's the moral of the story then, now? I I wrote down what he said. He said, people think my life changed when I got a 1480, but that's not true. It changed when I started believing I was a 1480. And that that sentence there, it's... it's really this story of Gideon where, where God comes in and says, mighty hero, I'm sending you. And Gideon goes, can't possibly be me. That's not who I am. And God says, no, you are who I say that you are. And if we exist as people who just think that we're just sin laden, broken, too young, too old, too poor, whatever, with all of these but Lord excuses, then a lot of our activity is going to come straight from that because we've kind of said, I'm just deciding who that I am. But instead, we've got to see ourselves like God sees us, as gifted with a purpose, with abilities and skills and and a purpose to make a difference in the life of other people. And when we believe, when we believe that we are who God says we are, then our activity flows from that. Let's see what happens because Gideon... Gideon decides to go with it. At the end of chapter 6, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what happens is God proves for sure to Gideon that he is all over this thing. That this is not some fleeting thought that Gideon had. Gideon didn't have some dream or vision and it kind of came and went. God proves over and over and over, Gideon, I am in this thing. And so go to Gideon, uh, excuse me, go to Judges chapter 7. As in the end of chapter 6, you find that 32,000 men 32,000 men want to join Gideon to go and fight the Midianites. And then we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 7. So Jerobal, that is Gideon, he got a new name in the second half of chapter 6. And his army of 32,000 people got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Remember, the Midianites have more people than anybody can count. They've got more camels than anybody can count. And so... 32,000 people is not that many people compared to what the Midianites and the Amalekites have going on in the north. When God, when God tells Gideon, hey, I need you to trim this down, there's too many people, I imagine at first Gideon thought God was kidding because it doesn't make any sense. But he did it. And if if you were a part of the 32,000, if you're a part of the 32,000 You've mustered up the the courage and the strength, Join the army, even though, let's be honest, you're going to get slaughtered if God doesn't intervene. 32,000 people are lined up, and Gideon says, all right, if anybody is timid, or if anybody is scared at all, you are free to go home. And 22,000 hands go in the air and say, I'm out of here. And I imagine that most of the other 10,000 thought, well, I'm scared now too, can I change my mind? Can I get out of here now too? Because with 32,000, I can imagine it happening. But now that we're 10, what? Can you give us that option again, Gideon? Can you ask us if we're scared again, Gideon? Because I would get out of here if I could. But there's 10,000 left. Then look what happens. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. There's still too many people. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like a dog, right? So they go down to the stream and they pick it up with their hand and they drink it out of their hand. That's group one. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others, which to me, I'm like, I'm totally using my hand. Are you? I'm a hand. I mean, I think I'm just not getting down there because the algae that's on top of the water, I'm not doing that. So I'm, I feel like i would be one of the 300. Only 300 men drank from their hands and all the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. I, I, again, there's this splitting where Gideon says, all right, if you got down on your knees, And if you drank from the stream, just straight from it, you, I'm actually making you go home. You chose to be here, even though I already gave you an out, but you are being commanded by me to go home. But if you scooped it up with your hand and you drank it like a dog, you get to go fight the Midianites with me. And I'm sure the 300 people are like, dang it, I should have just drank it, you know? 300 of them, keep in mind, these 300 men are not privy to all the experiences that Gideon has had, this confidence that Gideon has. All the other ones, they don't have all these stories to go back on. They gotta think Gideon is nuts. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send the rest of them home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram swords from the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept 300 men with him. That's like... This room times two, that's it. Going up against the Midianites. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, that's important, go down to the camp with your servant Purah, listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, Then you will be eager to attack. So if you are afraid, do this, and it will change your heart, and you will now be eager to do it. So Gideon, he is afraid. So he takes Pura and went, and goes down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. And Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned over, and knocked it flat. And his companion answered, this is Gideon listening in, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and its allies. When Gideon heard this dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord, And then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up! For the Lord had given you victory over the Midianite orbs. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. Once again, keep in mind, these 300 people are sleeping. It's the night before they're probably going to die in their minds. They are not privy to this conversation that Gideon got to listen in on. And Gideon comes home in the middle of the night, get up, here's your ram's horn. Here is your clay pot and here's your torch. Are you ready to go? And these are guys, these guys are already resigned to death, so like whatever, Gideon. And he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too. All around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. And suddenly they blew their horns and broke their jars. That must have scared some people. Breaking jars? (laughs) And they held the blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hands and they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each man stood in his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And you can go read the rest, but essentially the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east are routed. And they flee. And they, in confusion, turn on one another. And God gives Israel peace in the land for 40 years for the remainder of Gideon's life. And I read that story and I go, okay, why 32,000 10,000. And why from 10,000 to 300? Why would God do that? And the answer was in verse 2 a little bit earlier. I want to read it again. The reason why God had to whittle down the army, the Lord said to Gideon, you've got too many warriors with you. If I let you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. They're going to take the credit They're going to think that they did it on their own. They're going to think that they were capable and strong and they had what it takes. They're going to be tempted to throw parades for themselves if they're able to conquer the Midianites with that many people. And the third thing that we've got to understand about God from this story is that only, only God can really save you. Only God can really save you. Salvation, listen, salvation from the midianites and salvation from sin is through god and through god alone one of the most spiritually paralyzing sins that if i'm being honest just about everybody in the room struggles with is this horrible sin that's called self-sufficiency where we want to say that we have what it takes that we were good enough that we were strong enough that we figured it out that sin permeates everybody who doesn't follow Jesus. And that per- sin permeates just about everybody who is following Jesus. And it's a spiritually, it, it prevents people from going really, really deep into their relationship with God. It's this sin of self sufficiency that I don't need God, that I have figured life out, that I'm good. And it just, it keeps us from this place of true dependency on God. And that is where that real deep relationship with God happens. It's in these places of real dependency. Charles Spurgeon commented on this and said, Self-sufficiency, the sin of self-sufficiency is Satan's net wherein he catches men and women like poor silly fish and destroys them. Be not self-sufficient. Think yourselves nothing, for you are nothing. And live by God's help instead. Only God can save us, and he is opposed to the idea that we can save ourselves. And the reason... The reason is that he knows that that is what's best for us, because if he lets them go with 32,000 people then the parade is for Gideon. And this sermon is for Gideon. But he knows that if he whittles it down from 32 to 10,000, from 10,000 to 300, that we have no choice but to read this story and go, wow, not Gideon, but wow, God. And he knows that that's best because Gideon, if you read the end of chapter seven and you read chapter eight, Gideon lets the people down because he's human and he doesn't have what it takes without God's help. Only God can save us. And Paul, if you fast forward all the way to the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus saving the world from their sins, it's almost like Paul read Judges 7, verse 2, and reworded it and told it to all the Christians in the church in Ephesus. It's remarkably similar. Remember in verse 2 it says, I'm not going to let you take all these people into that battle because if I do you might be tempted to take credit for yourselves. You might boast in your own strength. And then Paul, a couple of thousand years later, repeats this. He echoes this to the Christians after Jesus was here and he says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so no one can boast about it. Only God can save us. Our attendance cannot save us. Our giving cannot save us. Our service cannot save us. Being a good person cannot save us. Only God can save us. And the only way that you get to the point where God can save you is when in a tremendous amount of humility, you repent, put your hands up, and say, I need help. I need someone to save me. God can't save people to think that they're saving themselves. Can't do it. You can't earn your salvation. You can't be good enough for long enough, consistently enough to achieve it. You can't win it. Nothing, nothing can save us but God. And so when you look at this story of Gideon, it isn't about Gideon, it's about God. And what's cool is that a couple thousand years later, Jesus turns up and essentially does the same thing. He essentially does the same thing against the odds, against the the sin, the number of sins that were stacked up in our lives that Jesus said, boom, in a moment I take them away and only I can do that. Only I can do that. The start of that much deeper walk with Jesus where Where the grace of God just washes over your life every day. Where you feel this deep peace and this deep hope that is advertised. Right? Because we've seen people who are older than us. Who have followed Jesus longer than us. They talk about this hope and this peace and this fulfillment that they had. They don't get there by being really self-sufficient and capable and earning God's love. They got there by raising their hand and saying, I can't figure this out on my own. And that is when Christianity, as advertised, comes true in our personal lives. So three things to to conclude. One, God can change your circumstances, but he might want to change you first. Number two, only God gets to say who you are. And number three, only God can save you. And as we sing this last song, I'm not sure that all three of those, maybe I guess, you today but maybe one of them does maybe one of them is just exactly what God wanted you to hear today and I, I just as we sing this song I hope that you'll think about that and remember that only God gets to say who you are let me pray for us God as we look in the life of Gideon we see a lot about you and I pray that we wouldn't get sidetracked and think about anything but you and father in humility in humility God I come to you and I just say I need your help I have tried to do it my way and I've given it my best effort and I've come to the point where I know that I can't keep it up And so, rather than continuing to strive and work earn my way into your favor god i know that i can't do it that way i just raise my hand god and i say i just need you to change me i can't i can't do it i need you to help me god i pray for the people in the room who are struggling with that sin of self-sufficiency myself included And ask, Lord, that even as we sing this song, that you would just begin to chip away at this idea that I'm good enough. God, would you remind us that only you are good, and only you are good enough. So I pray for our church today that we can sit in that. Why all the striving? Help us to know that only you have what it takes. You gave your life for us, so as we sing about you, Lord, would these words be sweet to your ears? We're not singing them from a place of pride. We're singing them from a place of humility. Would you push back the darkness in our lives? Would you let grace wash over us? pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.